Welcome to Shanghai Zhan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We will also be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Whitlam, and I'm Ali Kazmi. Today's episode: Twenty Years of China Advertising, at least for us. Where it's been, where it is now, and where it's going. And given Ali that this is our inaugural podcast, our maiden voyage, we felt it's important to take the time to to introduce ourselves a bit. Um, so what's interesting? I kind of had that conversation, or I had many conversations, but I had a recent one with my wife, and she reminded me that I've been in China for 25 years. I'd stopped counting at 20, so every time I met someone new, I would always kind of stick to the 20. And if I meet anyone from China, then I always say 10,、um, because I always feel that my Mandarin is just not up to spec.、Um, but You've been dropping years from your LinkedIn profile as well. <laughs> people do that; they drop in the years. Do they really? Oh yeah. Oh, I、time. think there are a lot of people that just drop some of their early experience, so they kind of settle in with "I'm still young and relevant with 15 years of work experience," or "I can still be employed for a CMO job with just seven years of work experience." Which, by the way, a lot of star- startups expect from young candidates that they try to hire. I mean, it's just we're talking the twentieth century here that you were you you first came to China, so it, it is quite a while. So so you're here twenty five years, and、uh, how, how, why China? Why did you end up here? Not out of choice.、Uh, I've been here for that amount of time mostly because, well, actually only because、uh, my father, who who's a Pakistani diplomat, ended up in Beijing in nineteen ninety six, and I decided to stay here ever since. It's always amazing to me talking to you because. I think the first time I met you in 2005, when we were working on a client project, I, my first question to you was, "So, how long did you live in America? What part of the U.S. you were from?" And you replied to me that you had never ever been to the U.S. at that time. And、uh, it always my, it reminds me of the fact that the international school. Accent of English tends to skew American. Is that a correct statement? That is correct. It's very correct、uh, for anyone that's gone to the Lincoln, well, international school in Buenos Aires. <laughs> no, it's it's true. All my my kids' friends when they came over from classes, regardless of where they're from, they all get the accent. I don't know、that's、why.、Correct. I guess it's Hollywood. For me, at least, it's been. Uh, a little bit similar. I came because of the opportunity. Originally based in Thailand, but I had studied Chinese、uh, before, and I, I came here in 2005、uh, to work.、Uh, at at that time was One Four One, which was a part of Bates, which got、uh, molded into Ogilvy Action later on. That was in 2005.、Uh, our office was right on Fuxing Park,、uh, and、office. you could. And our, our biggest client was BAT,、uh, the the large smoking not not the not Baiduali. Are we allowed、cent. to endorse cigarette smoking? No, it's it was. But the fact was that we could smoke in the office. I remember that. It was completely、that. okay. You could just light up. I guess it's all vaping is, has taken over for that, and people just vape openly in, in that offices is now, and that's completely okay. Anyway, so、uh, we met. Uh, on a mutual client, which of course is the Marie France Henry, Henry yeah, Wong, Henry Chan, yeah, he, Henry, Henry Chan. Chan, yeah, yeah, great, great guy, and we、uh, we met mutually on this client,、uh, Marie France, which is a slimming center. Had, did you ever ever go to a slimming center or one of the Marie France? I've walked by Swensons and I've walked by the Marie France's a number of times.、Um, 
And I've never, um, you know, I've never gotten the courage to kind of walk in. Have you? Yes, uh, I did. I think it's really important that you really understand what your client's product is, and to, to, regardless of what it is. I went to the Marie France. Uh, they got into a room, not not much bigger than this room, actually. They uh, they strip you down. Uh, they wrap plastic cellophane around the body part, which you want to. You want to reduce. Reduce in size. Yeah. That's correct. And then after that's done, you sit on a chair or they give you a magazine at the time. See, it's dated or you're looking at your phone. And then they fire up this industrial size air conditioner and it's freaking cold. And I'm telling cold, I'm from South Dakota. All right. Land of freezing. And this is freezing. You literally, your body is just trying to get warm. Your molecules are racing around. And all those fat are burning rapidly, especially in that concentrated area where the, all the plastic is around your legs. Okay. So you don't have plastic all around your body. It's just around that part that you're trying to reduce. Yes. You have plastic all around your body, except for a small... No, of course, only around that leg. They just wrap the legs. So we met on that. Uh, that that connection. What do you th why are we doing this podcast? Um, I, th I I think it's all about sharing. It's about uh, parting ways with all of this all of this knowledge that we've accumulated over the over the decades. I I once had a client, a car client, Land Rover, and the McKenzie guys came in. They hired McKenzie consultants. It's always agencies just they, when the consultants come in. There's always this conflict, and they recommended that and this is. This is at the height of Land Rover in China in 2013 yep. when they got up to about 100,000 units a year, mm -hmm. car units. And they recommended the fact that they, why don't they take part of the China marketing team and put them in the UK and they could service them. At the China marketing director at the time told the overseas consultants, he said to me something that's very poignant. He said, if you leave China, even for eight to 10 weeks time, you suddenly lose touch with what's going on there. And that really stuck with me, really stuck with me for a long time. And I thought to myself, the reason we're doing this podcast is that we're here. We're still here, despite everyone leaving. That's correct. The expat exodus, it's noticeable. Uh, and we decided that it's high time that there is a podcast done by two guys who are <laughs> still, are still hanging out. We're still here. <laughs> The last of the Mohicans. So that's why we're doing the podcast. So Ali, you've, you've been in the industry a long time. Yeah. And without getting too reflective, which can, which can get really tiresome, what do you think are the biggest shifts in advertising? And what, where do you think the future is? I think the biggest shifts in advertising, in fact, are going to be, we're going through a major one right now. And um, a lot of it revolves around um, the use and application of data in your advertising. It's really around, given the new privacy laws, how are we going to um, continue to target um, audiences on platforms? And on platforms, a lot of that advertising spend is really concentrated around six of those major platforms. And then within those platforms, how are advertisers and how are how are our agencies going to, you know, live up to that expectation of being "quote unquote" creative? Now you mentioned you mentioned privacy uh, regulations. Could you re uh, reflect on what 
those are in China relative. I mean, I think they very know what exactly the same as what you would expect in in the West, as well as from what we know about GDRP. So you know, the 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 premise is that um, you can't ask for data from a user unless you intend to use it. And if you intend to use it, then you need to ask for permission. That's one. Um, two is that anyone that's entrusted with um, customer data, they they are uh, liable for 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 misuse. Uh, of that data set and retaining customer data uh, and enriching it and selling it and trading it without the knowledge of that end user is just prohibited. A lot of companies now are moving to within the social commerce realm. I mean, let's face it: who owns the data in China? It's the it's customer. it's the or well, the platforms. Well, right? yeah, Alibaba, the Tencent on on behalf of the customers. Yeah, but but now with. With social commerce? It's actually the platforms hold the data. The customers own the data. It's just that the customers don't know that they own the data. And that's and that's why the government needs to enforce legislation that falls on the platform and the intermediaries, aka advertising companies, to not misuse the trust that a customer has placed on the platform when they use their data. My feeling is in China, Chinese consumers tend to Trust the platforms with their data That's maybe correct. more than than we would see in other markets. But then, yeah. of course, that also reflects on how the platforms use the data in China versus in other other markets. Yeah, I saw an interesting piece of research the other day, and it was exactly on that point on the fact that um, Chinese customers, Indian customers as well, and a lot of developing countries, a lot of Asia, they have they they tend to trust not advertisers, but portals, platforms, Facebooks, Googles, because they believe that those platforms will use that data to better serve them. And when these companies, when these big companies start playing a bigger role in their lives, that, that you know, that belief um, kind of materializes in being able to get a new pair of shoes del- delivered to you on time, you being able to receive your email, you being able to send a message, you being able to access WeChat, you being able to pay your bills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that trust in platform, and obviously, you know, going back 20 years, <laughs> you probably remember, I mean, you can probably reflect on the, on, 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 you know, on the fact that China's kind of leapfrogged from, you know, 14.4K modem to broadband to fiber to now 5G, and it's probably got one of the most, anyway, I'm not going to go down that road, but lots of people with very fast internet connections in the country. Yeah, but don't you think that there's a greater degree of trust because there's less abuse? I mean, I'll use the argument, because WeChat, because so, Tencent is only, Tencent only makes 18% of their revenue from, from advertising, versus Facebook, which is 98%. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, but that's also, I think, I think that's also business culture. I think business culture in 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 China is a bit more feudalistic, and it's about um, you know and it's very territorial and and the best way to compete is to continue to expand, <laughs> and that's just it, right? Whereas I think Facebook is all about doing one thing and doing one thing great. I mean, obviously they have multiple lines of business, but you know they don't identify themselves as Tencent or as Alibaba. They identify themselves as. Facebook, as Instagram, as WhatsApp, as you know, as whatever else. I, I think there's that element to it, and then um, I, I I also think that I, I think there's an element of competition as well. And if you were to go back, and again, this is me giving away how old I am, but China Mobile 
and China Unicom and China Telecom and Tietong, so China Railcom, were all created off of one entity, and and which at the time was China Telecom, and and they were all created so that they could, you know, so that you got that competition, that they internalized that competition, and I think, you know, the creation of a lot of these platforms was also, you know, they they've also been created in that like or in that spirit, you know, that's a bit of history, but、uh, but do you think that that you think that's universal that Chinese people generally. Trust the platforms with their data because they provide them a, a service in exchange for for their information. I remember I had this discussion with my 18-year-old daughter, who surprisingly gave me a contrarian point of view to Instagram to say that Baba, it's a free service. In exchange for that, they get my data, but I also expect that the platform can serve me information and things that that I find relevant. I don't want to read about. Things like hot rod cars, guns, and and、uh, things that are not relevant to me. I want to, be, to read this, so I find that the platform serves me well. That's correct. And I was personalization is incredibly important. I think、um, I think there's a greater degree in using financial、um, terminology. Like you talk about capital markets and capital markets efficiency, and that's to a point that I mean that's to an earlier conversation we had. And if you were to apply those rules and that terminology to advertising, there's a greater degree of efficiency in advertising today. And and if you were to again going back to that earlier discussion that we had today, on、uh, on the value creation of advertising, right? So so when advertising companies、um, and advertising intermediaries and you know they're no longer creating value and the platforms are. Then why would why would consumers why would people why would you and I hand over data to you know to to a company when it's you know when when they're getting greater value from utilities everything right absolutely yeah and that is the fact that WeChat there's no greater utility so、um, it's army knife or Chinese army knife I think they it's still give it a new name I I always tell my students name the number one brand in China <laughs> that doesn't advertise. And, they, and they're the number one brand in China, and they don't spend a single dollar on advertising in China. And they give me all these brands, and it's yeah. The 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 answer,、mm. of course, as you said, is WeChat. Given this environment, what、yeah. do you think in terms of reflecting on our topic today about twenty、yeah. years of advertising? What do you think the future is for advertising agencies? Is the industry lost? Are we seeing the spiral downwards of creative agencies and the whole serve it, the purpose that they serve?、Yeah. Or are we? Are, are we seeing a greater consolidation? Is this a massive transformation, or are agencies really to serve the executional needs of clients now? And what I mean by that is that agencies now are hired. A lot of agencies that I know of are primarily to handle the dirty work that a lot of the clients don't want to do themselves,、mm -hmm. because clients now have employed ex-agency people. They're hiring strat strategic planners, data scientists. Yeah, data、Creatives. scientists, creative people—they're all taking these things in house, and for the sole purpose of being able to do it themselves. The reason they tell you that they're doing it is because agencies don't operate fast enough. Do you believe that? Do you think it's about speed? What's the reason that things are being so internalized nowadays? Yes, it's speed and it's depth of knowledge. And knowing enough about you know knowing enough about your client's business to have that type of impact. If value for customers is being delivered through efficiency and personalization, 
And that requires a lot of, that's a lot of effort. And when that effort on behalf of an agency needs to be distributed against many, many clients, it's really difficult for an advertising company to offer the same level of insight, the same level of recommendation or strategy, the same application of data to customers. Data and data segmentation and creativity and ideas, they, they may very well in the future live within an advertiser's or an extended you know, marketing department within an advertiser, within a big company, purely on the basis that consumers are an extension of the marketing team and creativity is born through how well you understand consumers and and platforms have innovation labs that allow advertisers to to trial ideas. Um, and so platforms are very close to consumers, a lot closer than, you know, your chief strategy officer. So when you have, you know, when you have that type of insight into a customer and you have that level of access into data and it's being provided to you in real time, why would you want your agency to give you second party data a point of view that needs to be formed because, you know, the chief strategy officer is busy working on something else that, you know, you need to sign off on a timeline. There's a cost estimate attached to it, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that really makes it very difficult for advertisers to. So it's just not speed. It's also relevance. It's also relevance for the moment. I, I heard someone tell me that the future of the ad business was a role of consolidation because as we know, as we've lived here to see, not, I wouldn't say, uh, I mean, Alibaba is still growing. Uh, I'm, I'm a shareholder of Alibaba, so I'm very happy to hear that. I still think it's a great buy. Uh, <laughs> I bought it during the whole Trump thing when it took a dive and I thought... Have you bought like, recently again? Cause it's, uh, I haven't. I My wife is telling me not to. I bought it too high the second time, but I think it's a major buy now mm -hmm. um, because... It seems like no, nothing's stopping it. At the same time, the pie is growing, but then it's growing outwards. But there are now more more e-commerce plays in China. There are more platforms, and there could be roughly Taobao has uh, Alibaba has about around a sixty percent market share. Yeah. Now that goes down every single year. So if you think about maybe the future where we have multiple platforms where people are purchasing products, all the platforms now are doing their best to close the loop, to make it quicker to make a purchase, which I think is incredible. That's uh, then the role of the agency turns to become a consolidation role because Unless you're a big company, you're a, a Unilever or a L'Oreal or a, a, a Nike or an Apple. You can you can have you can bring all those multiple teams into one house. But yeah. for a medium-sized brand, it's pretty freaking hard. You've got to have a lot of resources and people to be able to consolidate that. Do you agree with that premise, or do you, or is that? I mean, that uh, on consolidation, BS? on consolidation, my thought is is that. I, I, I don't know if it's consolidation or it's elimination. So I am less uh, I am less bullish on the future of advertising. And I think I actually think that there's going to be a future where advertising will cease to exist. But I do believe that creativity will continue to exist. Creativity from the agencies or I know that even influencers now have their own creative shops. They can For create example, videos. Yeah. It's, it's, so I, I actually don't think advertising agencies in you know in the classical sense in the way we know them today will continue to exist today for example um 80 of all 
about uh, all advertising spend goes on the top six platforms. All How much the, of that directly goes to the platforms? 80% of all advertising goes spend directly to the platforms. To the big six platforms. Um, and I'm talking about Douyin and Ali and Tencent and Baishou and Xiaohongshu. So, so there's that. And then all of them have um, advertising trading um, tools and, 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 and products. So you can load up whatever amount of money you want to spend, um, drop your creative, pick a, a, a type of customer that you want to target and deliver your advertising. So what's um, the future advertising agency if, it's, if, in, in, if you say in the traditional sense, I, I agree with you. So given what we see in China now, how do you see as the future advertising? I mean, I'd like, I, I, I lean towards the elimination of advertising entirely. I, I, I don't think that agency will, I, I, I don't see an advertising company existing in the future. If we're all advertising on the same set of platforms and all of them have amazing advertising delivery tools and, ha and give advertisers access to very deep, rich insights on customers, then why would you need any of the resources that an advertising agency would typically have to offer? Fair comment. So advertising agencies will... Will cease to exist. I, I think they will cease to exist. And then the other thing is also that the last 20 years have been all focused on delivery. The consumers have pivoted over to discovery. And I don't say these because they're buzzwords. I've been saying them for, I don't know, a decade now. But <laughs> but it hasn't gotten there yet. We talked about efficiency um, and, and how... Uh, brands and products are so efficient in delivering message creative product to consumer and we talked about the example about your daughter and she's like well you know i like instagram because it's super personalized and i don't see all of this other stuff and so suddenly discovery of product becomes so much more important and a lot of people kind of translate that into experience i think it means that consumers they will make need-based transactions a lot more in the future and i think and this is really, really dangerous territory. But I think brands will, <laughs> I wouldn't say erode, but I think I think brands won't have as deep, rich a meaning as they previously did. And and I, I think China is a really good example of the number of brands that have that exist under the under the you know under the umbrellas of the Nestle's of the world and the Unilever's of the world and the PNGs of the world and the car companies of the world. And, and they're indigenous brands that are that are quicker at getting their message out, that are easier to be discovered, that customers connect with a lot faster. So and, and they may also very well cease to exist. So products for a lifetime, don't know if they will ever exist. I mean, it's uh, no doubt that especially living in China, that yeah. the the newness factor has never been stronger. I had the pleasure of working on Colgate for for many years. It's a brand I've used for like 20 years. I'm a complete Colgate fan. But the reality is that even 10 years ago, the average Chinese consumer would use 1.2 tubes of Colgate a year, mm -hmm. despite the fact that that time they had 30% market share. Mm -hmm. The reality is that people switch brands constantly here, mm -hmm. even, even back before. But now it seems that the channels, the platforms, the culture, you never can stick with one brand for anything. You keep moving around constantly because that whole element of discovery is so much, so enticing. So much more exciting as well. And so you ask yourself, like, what's the role of a brand essence? Brands still have this, are, can, can connect with consumers on an emotional basis. Yeah, I, I, do, I do people love Apple because think different or they like it because they're so used to the iOS that they could never switch to a to a Xiaomi or a Huawei phone. 
I think on Apple, it's really interesting. I, I spent a little bit of time at TVWA, and, and maybe, you know, and it's interesting how I went from... You probably interviewed at Apple a couple of times, too, like me. <laughs> I think, I think ask, we all have. <laughs> and they always ask me, like, you know, you realize that 90... I, I don't know the number, but it's it's in the 90% of their yeah. business in China is phones. The industry name um, for um, those Bluetooth headsets are true wireless mm-hmm. uh, Bluetooth headsets. And Apple created that market, that entire market of true wireless, noise cancellation, headphones, like single-handed, single product, not because of Think Different, because of product innovation, pricing, distribution, and just desire. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people that bought the product are Apple customers, but I'm also very sure that a lot of people that are not Apple iOS owners, users, iPhone users are also um, using um, their AirPods. So you'd agree with me that it's it's about product now and there's... Life cycle's less, too short. Life cycle's too short and there's less of Discovery this... Discovery too easy. Markets are too efficient. Too easy for customer to discover product. There's no role for advertising anymore. And and that's why I go back to the need. I need headsets. Go online. What's it, Who says what about what headset? That product looks really good. That looks really nice design. That's what my friend uses. I only have this much to spend. I'm going to get that. And but, then you go into product discovery. But what about what about products that have less functional benefits? Fragrances or ice cream or beverages. These products traditionally rest themselves on your emotional connection to them. That, oh, Dove chocolate, it's silky, t- it's like takes you away. It gives you that escape. That's right. So what... About product them. innovation, they need to continue to innovate. I mean, I, I think the best way for the Doves, uh, the Kit Kats, uh, and the Snickers is just constant innovation. And what do you mean by constant innovation? Changing recipes, changing formats, changing application of that okay. product, right? Making desserts, making, this is a bad idea, but Snickers toothpaste. <laughs> it doesn't need to be idea. that. It's a very bad idea. But uh, you're a confectionery brand that's meant to give you energy. And if you can excite people through different format or different use of that product, then I think there's... No, I agree. I think that's always how, and especially in this market, especially in the in the social media environment, yep. those disruptive, innovative products, even in count line type of low cost brands, yep. those that can create that sense of innovation through product development. Spicy will, will, Snickers. Or even the... flavored Kit Kat. Yeah, right, true. If the agency business is eroding, what would you give advice to someone, uh, let's say one of my grad students, if you said to join the marketing or advertising industry, would you say, oh, go into data analytics? What would what would be your advice to them? I think, look, I think, I, I think there's more people looking at numbers today than they were 20 years ago. And oh, no, bu- no doubt. You, me, um, your daughter, even more very likely. Just looking at the number of people that are liking their image, that liking any photography or any videos or you know anything that you share, right? The number of people that follow you on LinkedIn, um, not that that's a metric of mine or it never has been, but um, I think platforms make it a point to share with you metrics against the type of influence that you carry and the weight that you carry within social platforms. Well, it's and I highly think, addictive. And, and it's very addictive, right? You want to know more. So so we're already, you know, we're already preconditioned. Our young managers today are already preconditioned to understand the metrics by which brands would be 
therefore also successful. Um, so if you ask me what is the marketer of the future, I think it's someone that understands product really well and understands consumers really well and can translate data signals very quickly into new innovative product. And, and I think that's, that, that's what's going to win this market. So this is really fascinating, Ali. Uh, leave you with one question. What keeps you here? Why, what m- makes you want to stay? What makes me want to stay is... Besides the great food and... I, yeah, the food is great. <laughs> but I, I think one of the, you know, this fear, I, I guess it's just fear of missing out. And uh, every time I leave the country, even if it's momentarily, I kind of feel like China evolves and, and, and things change in this country. And they change at such a pace that you kind of feel like, you know, you're not part of that. And, and I think should I ever leave, it's going to be because I no longer want to be part of that. And I don't want to call it rat race. I think it's I think if you haven't lived in China, you won't really truly understand what it is to to be in this country and, and experience. There was a chart that showed the growth of China versus the growth of the U.S. from 1900. And oh, most of that growth that you and I have been here during that time. And it kind of to reflect on our experiences here and seeing that so many times. I guess it's similar to me is, is yeah, it's a bit fear of missing out or being a part of the action, all those. Being part all, of the action. Right. Yeah. I think the most important thing for me is that I become hopelessly addicted to this kind of way of, of change. And Correct. I'm not saying that it's a stress-free type of experience. It can be completely nerve-wracking sometimes because you yourself have to undergo so many changes because the market's changing, you have to change yourself. And it's very, very difficult to do uh, multiple times. But despite that, it's really an amazing experience. And I just can't imagine what it would be like in a place where I wasn't exposed to this kind of energy. I, I don't know what that would be like. And, and to, to, to go into that, I guess to me would be something that would maybe I would eventually have to go into because physically or mentally, I'm not able to handle this kind of the kind of pressure excitement. and the excitement mm-hmm. here. Uh, so in the meantime, that's why I stay. Excellent. All right. That's why we will continue to stay. And with that, Ali, thanks for joining us on Shanghai Zan. We hope you enjoyed the program. And we look forward for you to join us on our next installment when we will feature our point of view on this year's e-commerce festival, better known as Singles Day or Double Eleven. Until then, have a good day.